So good morning. To this fine, a little bit chilly Sunday morning, um, we will, uh, before I start rambling on, Ed, do you mind leading us in prayer, please? Father God, we thank you we gather here together with people. We ask you to be great because he teaches us this morning. And please help our hearts to be able to hear the word and respond to it in the way that pleases you. We ask this for Christ's sake. Amen. Yeah, so um, Dave McGuire asked that, uh, you know, I do a segment in, in Advent, and I was uh, glad to do that. And I actually, you know, maybe stupid me, I, uh, I kind of, you know, got the conversation started. I said, you know, it'd be really nice to, um, you know, as we go through, you know, like the, the Advent uh, candle and so forth, uh, Keith talked about this last week where we have the various weeks, hope, preparation, joy, love, and, and adoration. And as far as preparation is concerned, a lot of people insert the idea of prophecy uh, in, in Advent. So I thought, hey, that's really cool. You know, I was a little bit, you know, maybe I might say selfish, you know, on my own part in that I'd like to go through you know, all the Old Testament prophecies, not necessarily dealing with Christ's birth, but also with who is this Jesus? Who is the Messiah? So I thought, you know, if you guys know me, I, I just like kind of step into it and I don't realize how big, you know, this really is. So it took me like a couple of, you know, a few weeks to gather around, you know, all the information. You might have seen, uh, you could access this on the web, you know, on our website, where I have the teacher's notes. And what I usually do with the teacher's notes is I go to uh, a website called Bible Gateway, and I download uh, the uh, scripture, you know, on my notes, and I have to format it and do all kinds of stuff. So you'll see a um, basically a, um, a document on the website concerning today, uh, which is probably about 22, 23 pages long because I didn't want, you know, if you were reading it, I didn't want you flipping through your Bible. So I use the uh, ESV, you know, for that. So which is, you know, of course, the uh, uh, accredited version that we all like to use. I, I like you actually Personally, I like using the NIV at times because sometimes it makes a little more sense to me, but that's just me. Anyway, uh, you know, that's, that's our approach. So basically, you know, in the handout it says the prophecies about Jesus Christ, a review, but I would say more or less it's more accurate to say a survey of Old Testament prophecies concerning Jesus Christ. So my approach today isn't going to be where we go through the Gospels, of Matthew, of Luke, and Mark, and then go back, just keep on jumping back and forth, I thought, you know, it would be really interesting to go through and look at all the prophecies of Jesus going through the Old Testament. So just sequentially, you know, Genesis, Exodus, you know, et cetera, et cetera, to see how it all adds up. The other thing that kind of resonated with me last week when Keith was teaching you know, he was talking about the fact that the early, uh, and I think he was saying this, but, you know, early on, we see um, prophecies concerning Jesus to be a little shadowy or vague. And then they build up as time goes on where 
It's Isaiah is screaming, this is what the Messiah is going to be. This is who he's going to be. So it's quite interesting, and I might touch on it a little bit later, that in Isaiah 53, um, it, it, was, it would almost be like, and this, just as an idea for your own personal study, to overlay Isaiah 53 with Romans, okay, with the book of Romans. So it's almost like when you're reading Isaiah 53, it's almost like, how did not the Israelites get it, okay, <laughs> right? I mean, we could say that now, right? But, but at the time, as you're reading this, you're like, wow, I, I, I read this again. And, you know, you, you read scripture before, and it kind of goes, you know, in one ear and out the other. But then when you really start to look at it, it starts to really, you know, talking about the Messiah and talking about Jesus Christ, it's popping like popcorn. It's like, wow, I didn't know that, right? So, you know, why is, um, you know, my say, you know, Rick, why, why is prophecy about Jesus Christ so important? Well, number one, you know, in studying, like if you read the creeds, the creedal statement will say, according to the scriptures, who has spoken through the prophets. Okay, so you want to know, you know, I believe, I would say as a Christian, as a believer, you would want to have some basis for what is, you know, what did the prophets actually say about this Jesus? Uh, and prophecy was very important to Israel. You know, God, you know, foretelling something that will happen places what has happened to be ordained by God. When it comes to be or is fulfilled, it is one more testimony about the reality of God himself. Now, you know, what I thought was interesting, too, and, in, you know, flipping through and, and uh, preparing for this, and I don't want to keep on droning on here because we've got a lot of scripture to go through, but... You know, I went to a couple of, uh, you might say, Jew, Jewish, uh, Messianic Jew websites, and I thought it was really interesting because, you know, when they talk about, um, you know, you might say evangelizing, they don't start with New Testament, okay, usually. They're talking to their Jewish brothers and sisters, and what do Jew, Jews know? They know the Old Testament, okay? They know the Old Testament. so. They're not talking about Romans or anything like that. They're talking about, look, all the prophets foretold who the Messiah is, who Yeshua is. So this is, you know, how they go about, like, um, there was one um, which was pretty clear to me, one website, Jews for Jesus, where it was very clear, you know, what they were saying. And, they, and some will actually, you know, use the... Use uh, you know probability, you know as a basis where you know there's so many different um, prophecies that are uh, told of the Messiah that that you know they're, they they talk about how could that possibly be right um, that you would get it wrong um, that the odds of this Jesus being the Messiah is like one in like I don't know like some crazy number. Uh, maybe I should talk to Lois. She would probably know what I'm talking about when it comes to probability. But, um, but then, uh, if you believe that Scripture is God-breathed, then the fulfillment of these prophecies should give you also a steadfast assurance, if you will, that the Christ is the fulfillment of God's redemptive purpose. purpose. And so, um, I want to, you know, kind of get on here, but, 
you know, this list that I have is not an exhaustive list. You know, there's more. But uh, the key, if you will, uh, when it comes to uh, prophecies of Jesus Christ comes mainly from, I'm going to say, two, but actually four. There's others that I included but in my abridged uh, list. But we have the Psalms, of course. Uh, Isaiah, probably uh, the major messianic uh, source of prophecy, Old Testament prophecy concerning Jesus. Micah and actually Zechariah. Actually, that was, you know, when I read the book of Zechariah in preparation for this, I was amazed, you know, what's, what's in there. It's really quite cool. But, you know, the major sources of prophecy are the Psalms and Isaiah, which we'll spend quite a bit of time on. And so, you know, David, of course, was considered, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, a prophet as well as a king. He wasn't a priest, of course, although he dabbled in and he got in trouble, as we know, for doing those kind of things. But Isaiah was a prophet. And and I want to say, I'm not too sure whether he was a priest, too. Uh, Tim, was Isaiah also a priest or was he just, no, okay. Uh, but uh, one of his contemporaries, which was, I believe, Micah, was also a priest. But anyway, uh, he was a prophet when the nation of Israel was just not, you know, kind of getting it right. They were kind of in trouble. The Assyrians were horning in on him. And that's when, you know, he had a bunch of, you know, when, when God asked him to be a spokesperson for himself. So, um You know, the thing is, is like I said, we're going to go through sequentially through the Bible, but, you know, the the redemptive history, you know, in a sense is, um, you know, God sanctified the Israelites, as we all know, to be his witnesses for him and his glory. Right. And, uh, you know, the the Israelites, as we know, didn't quite, you know, get it right. Not that, you know, any of us will, but or can. But as sinners, they did not do so regarding, you know, this, his, you know, that purpose. But the interesting thing is, is even though God's redemptive purpose for, you know, humanity stands, humanity, excuse me, stands out even more. So meaning that despite all that, you know, through all these prophecies, God will always say, I will do it. Okay. I don't care about you guys. I know what you guys are all about, but. I will make this happen. It's coming from me, which points as far as in my head uh, is grace. Okay, is grace. But, um, you know, uh, early on, Adam and Eve disobeyed God's direct command. You know, that's the first glimmer of what is to come. You know, we'll read from from Genesis. You know, society became became, uh, evil, you know, at war with God. We read about the Tower of Babel and then the flood. So, you know, God destroys evildoers and saves Noah and his kin. Israel becomes a nation by God's grace. Uh, Even though Joseph and Moses are really a type of Christ, they serve as God's instrument to save the nation. They did not fully sanctify them. Uh, they did not fully sanctify themselves and and the Israelites. Then they needed judges to continually save them from their errors. There is then a statement. You know, Moses, who is another type of Christ, comes and and uh, saves them from the the Israelites. And I have uh, I don't know in, in the um, 
online version of my notes, there's a mistake there. It's, it's actually from Deuteronomy, not from Exodus, where Moses is saying, there will be someone like me that will come to save you. So that's, you know, another, which we'll read in a couple of seconds here. And then uh, God shows them or reminds them of a coming salvation in numerous psalms. Um, and also then when uh, they become in, get in trouble again with uh, the Syrians because of their sin, uh, Isaiah and his contemporaries come and they basically turn on the gas, so to speak, with regard with, with prophecy. Um, I wanted to, you know, I don't have time for this, but in the notes I do talk about uh, Psalm 98, where, you know, we sing joy to the world. And uh, it was, it's just basically where, um, you know, supposedly joy to the world is based on Psalm 98. But um, my point is, is after everything that I just said about the history of the Israelites, uh, the last verse in Psalm 98 says, Before the Lord, um, let the rivers clap their hands, let the hills sing for joy together before the Lord. For he comes to judge the earth, he will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. And I guess my point is there is when we sing joy to the world, we're not talking about judgment necessarily, but you know, now after the first coming, will we get it right? And so we await for the second coming of Jesus when all this prophecy is finally realized. Okay, so um, any questions thus far? Far, I want to get on to. Uh, I have a, a pretty long list, and I'm you know I got a half an hour, or so we'll kind of skip through. If you want to follow along in your Bibles, you could try to. But like I said in my notes, I pretty much have a. Um, uh, I pretty much have it all right here. Yes, go ahead. It, it's just a, a statement. It amazes me how long the Lord kept the Assyrians around to be a, a, a prick in, in the Israelites, and they still never got it. Mm -hmm. How many hundreds of years? Well, I think that, you know, I, I get what you're saying, and I think that <laughs> that just shows how patient God is, okay? He is, he is an abundance, you know, of mercy. He's slow to anger, right? And abounding in steadfast love. And that is just underscores how, to me, his grace. So, good point. Anything else? Good. All right, so, you know, in Genesis, you know, it's the first, you know, I, was, I mentioned before Adam and Eve's sin and in Genesis 3, 14 to 15, this is the first uh, time, most scholars will say, where we see a messianic um, you know, verse uh, where God says, I will put enmity between you and a woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel, speaking about the devil. So, so Right there, uh, we know that salvation, or it's kind of a little shadowy, as Keith said last week, but we already are seeing that there is going to be someone coming that is born of a woman uh, that is going to be the salvation of the human race. And then when we jump to Genesis 12, 
we are, are talking about, let's see, um, he's talking to Abraham, and this is when God is talking to Abraham. He says, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all families of earth shall be blessed. Okay, so through the line of Abraham, we see there's someone that's going to rise up and, he, and there is going to be a blessing, okay, through the line of Abraham. That's why when we go to the New Testament and we're going through the genealogy, and I forget whether it's Luke or, or uh, Matthew right off the top of my head, you know, they start, you know, with, with Adam and go through <clears throat> Abraham, okay? So, and then in Genesis uh, 49, uh, we have uh, an oracle, or I just say a pronouncement from Joseph when he's blessing his sons. He says here, Judah is a lion's cub. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He stooped down, he crouched as a lion, and as a lioness, who dares to rouse him? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. So right there, now in God's uh, providence and his prophecy and his word, he's saying, okay, well, this salvation or this person is going to, the scepter, if you will, the ruler will come from the tribe of Judah. Then in Numbers, interestingly enough, uh, we have an oracle coming from a uh, I'm going to say this guy is a Midian or a Moabite. Uh, he, it's, it's a very interesting story in Numbers 24 where this guy by the name of Balaam uh, has an oracle and he says here uh, concerning the Israelites, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. So this is, you know, the Moabites, you know, a Moabite, uh, you might say, uh, he's kind of, a, um, he's, I wouldn't call him a prophet, but he did prophesy uh, because God told him what to say to the, you know, to the Israelites at the time. So um, then we go on uh, into Deuteronomy, and this is where... Um, you know, Moses, you know, before they entered the promised land, he says to the Israelites, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you. And this is out of Deuteronomy 18, 15 to 22. And then later on, he says, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command him. So what I think that is interesting is like when you take that verse and you overlay it with a few verses out of the Gospel of John, okay, Jesus himself says, I will not say anything unless my Father tells me, so to speak, right? So in verses John 6, 14, 7, 40, uh, in John 8, 28 to 29, uh, and especially um, John 8, 57, you know, John is talking to the Israelites and saying, 
you know, whatever I say is coming from God himself, right? The Father himself. So it has been, in a sense, you know, that um, uh, those prophecies have been quoted, you know, by John in the New Testament. And then we go on in, you know, 2 Samuel. So time is, you know, rolling along. And in 2 Samuel uh, chapter 7 through uh, verse 14, uh, 13 through 14, I'm going to read, it goes like this. And he shall build a house for my name. This is Nathan now, you know, talking about, um, or I should say, I'm not quite sure now in, in my memory, but, you know, God speaking to Nathan. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne for his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. So this is, you know, this is, uh, you know, the Lord, you know, talking about David initially and, um, you know, but most scholars will say this is also messianic since, since Jesus himself is of the house of David, okay? So, um, you know, this is, you know, quite, quite interesting to me how in we get, even when we get into the Psalms where, you know, there is a what there is is a prophecy. Mostly David is talking about himself, right? Or about, you know, something else. But a lot of scholars will, will say that since, you know, Jesus is of the line of David, he is David's offspring. So he is of the house of David. So it's almost like a, a euphemism, you know, and many times where um, when they're, you think they're talking about David, they're also talking about Jesus, who is the Messiah. Okay, so, um, and also in 2 Samuel 7, uh, the writer of Hebrews uh, uses this information he quotes in Hebrews 1 through 5, you know, when he's talking about speaking of Jesus concerning the angels. So, you know, how could, how could Jesus be God's son? He's not an angel. He's actually begotten of the Father. Okay, so we're rolling along, and then in Psalms... Um, you know, I thought at first, you know, there would be a lot of, you know, uh, prophecy concerning the birth, you know, and I'm uh, not quite right about that. But there is quite a lot of prophecy concerning Jesus uh, in the Psalms. And I thought it was kind of interesting, since Jesus is of the line of David, how even Jesus himself, you know, quotes from, from the Psalms. So I found, like, in, in my mind, a little bit of a connection there you know, between him and, you know, the line, you know, concerning the line of David. I thought, you know, that's just me. Maybe I'm making something out that ought not to be. But, <clears throat> you know, again, being that Jesus is of the house of David and he's a descendant of David, a lot of times, you know, his, his you know, there is that connection. There's, uh, when we say of David, that's a euphemism for, for uh, Jesus, Jesus himself. In Psalm 2, we find, you know, very commonly quoted, uh, you know, messianic verse there where we have in, in Psalm 2, uh, verse 2, the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointing, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. And then it says here uh, in 7, which is very, you know, you'll recognize this one where it says, I will tell of the decree, 
The Lord said to me, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And then later on in 12, uh, kiss the son lest he be angry and you perish in the way for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Uh, I have uh, uh, a quote in um, in 16 in Psalm 16, but I'm going to, in virtue of time, I'm going to sk- skip that. But then in Psalm 22, uh, we have another messianic uh, verse, which Jesus uses himself from the Psalm: "My God, My God, why have you forsaken me?" You know, when Jesus was on the cross and he was suffering, this is where. You know, he uses that, you know, from the scripture itself. It's not something that he just said. You know, he's quoting scripture here. Uh, And then later in Matthew uses this, you know, in this particular psalm, he trusts in the Lord, let him deliver him, let him rescue him, for he delights in him. So it's like, you know, if if he's the Christ, let him rescue himself. Um. I'm going to skip over uh, into um, uh, Psalm 31, where there is also a messianic verse here, where Jesus has said this on the cross when he, when he finally died. He says here in verse five, "Into your hand I commit my spirit." But then it goes on, "You have redeemed me, O Lord, faithful God." Okay, so Jesus is quoting again, you know, even to the very end of his earthly life, you know, he, he uh, is quoting scripture from the Psalms. Um, in Psalm 34, you know, just to uh, underscore that, you know, Jesus, you know, in, in his death, in his crucifixion, none of his bones were broken, so... Uh, I think, I I forget who quoted this, uh, John 19.36, where he keeps all his bones, not one of them is broken. And, you know, like I said before, you know, if you're Jewish and you're, you know, you're trying to evangelize somebody, you're you're using all these verses to build your, your case that Jesus, you know, is the Messiah. Okay, I am going to skip over to, um, you know, Psalm 69. And again, you know, this is concerning, you know, what happened to Jesus on the cross in verse uh, 21. Uh, Interestingly enough, it says here, They gave me poison for food, and for my thirst they gave me sour wine to drink. As we know, when Jesus was on the cross, they gave him some sour wine, okay, on a stick, okay? So Matthew 27, 34, he uses that, he quotes that, or he refers to that verse. And then um, uh, in Psalm 110, uh, this is a very commonly quoted uh, psalm in the New Testament, where it says here, uh, uh, Psalm 110, verse 1, The Lord says to my Lord, sit in my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. And then later on in this particular psalm, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Okay, so right there what they're saying is not only Lord uh, Jesus is God, 
right? The Lord says to my Lord. Um, I think it's Yahweh says to my Adonai. But uh, also the fact that the Lord is a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. So not only is he, is he a king, but he's a priest forever. And we read that out of Hebrews, Hebrews 6 and Hebrews 7. So, you know, as we're going along, I, you know, the, the thought to me is like, okay, I mean, this Messiah is going to be really something, okay? It's not just going to be God. It's going to be a priest forever, okay? And then um, lastly, of the Psalms 118, you know, we read here in verse 10, all the nations surround me in the name of the Lord. I cut them off. And later on, which is commonly quoted, you know, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and even in 1 Peter, in verse 22, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And even Jesus quoted that psalm himself. So just by going through this, I thought, you know, uh, well, Jesus is not only in a word, but he quoted quite frequently, you know, from the psalms. And then as time goes on, um, you know, Isaiah, uh, the prophet, comes to be. And God calls him to be a prophet, especially in a time of, of seemingly, you know, the Israelites knew that the Assyrians were right on their back. They, you know, Isaiah was just like, well, what are we going to do? Okay. Well, God calls him, as we know, to be a prophet. And that's when things start coming out like crazy. Okay. So you have Isaiah. Contemporaries of Isaiah is Hosea, contemporary of Isaiah is Micah, and all three of these, these fellas are, um, are prophesying, you know, by, from what the Lord is telling them about this Messiah. Isaiah probably has the most of, you know, the, uh, I would say, messianic um, uh, prophecies. It starts in chapter 2. And this is a, and this is a, maybe not. This is a common one. We'll recognize this out of two, uh, verse four. It says here. Um, well, let me start from verse three. And many peoples shall come and say, "Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that He may teach us in His ways, and that we may walk in His paths." For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between nations and shall decide disputes for many peoples. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. So there's judgment and there's also peace. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. Okay? So, and I found that this is kind of interesting, too, because Micah, again, a contemporary of Isaiah, has uh, verbiage, has um, prophecy that is almost word for word in Micah 4. So these guys, I don't know, maybe they're like, you know, emailing each other and saying, hey, you know, what are we going to say? But, you know, the, the fact of the matter is, is that there's a common, uh, to me, at least to my mind, there's a commonality here. You know, God's word is just blasting out at this time, you know, because, you know, to me, 
you know, at one hand, uh, when Isaiah was prophesying, he was prophesying judgment, but God wanted to make sure that not only was there judgment, but they will also be redeemed. There will also be salvation, you know, to, to Israel. So Isaiah 4, uh, is, I find this, you know, kind of interesting. In that day, the branch, in verse 2 to 3, in that day, the branch of the Lord shall be beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of the land shall be the pride and honor of the survivors of Israel. And he who is left in Zion and remains in Jerusalem will be called holy, everyone who has been recorded for life in Jerusalem. So not only is, is there a book of life, but also Jesus is also called the branch. So whenever we see this verbiage, you know, about the branch, that should say, okay, we're talking about the Messiah right now, okay? And here's another word that they use for the Messiah, like Isaiah 6 through 13. And though a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again like a terebinth or an oak, whose stump remains when it is felled. The holy seed is its stump, okay? So we'll read uh, later on about the stump of Jesse. You know, the thing is, is, uh, you know, kind of resonated with me as being a horticulturist. Like, if you, ever, if you ever tried to kill a live oak, okay, good luck with that, okay? Good luck. You'll cut it down, and it'll come back up, and you'll cut it down, and you'll come back up. You have to dig out the whole stump and throw it out. So, you know, to get rid of that doggone thing. So anyway, um, uh, the stump remains when it's fell. So there is a stump and it will, you know, send out its shoots, you know, once again. So hold that thought. Then in Isaiah, we come to a verbiage that uh, is very familiar, that is very uh, related to Jesus's birth, <clears throat> where uh, the Lord is speaking to, to Ahaz. And he says here, and he said, "Here then, O house of David, is it too little for you, uh, for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Therefore, the Lord Himself will give you a sign." Okay, again, the operative word, the Lord Himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. So we all know, like in in the New Testament. Uh, it says, what does that mean? Well, Emmanuel means God's, God is with us, God with us. He shall protect the house of Israel. So not only will he be a God and a priest, but he will be a protector, okay? Isaiah 8 through 14, but the Lord of hosts him, uh, for the, but the Lord of hosts him you shall honor as holy, let him be your fear and let him be your dread. And he will become a sanctuary and a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel, a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And many shall stumble on it, they shall fall and be broken. So, you know, this relates back to, and I think later on we'll read about, you know, uh, well, before in Psalm 18, where Jesus is considered uh, the cornerstone. He is the stumbling stone. And we know that, you know, in Jesus' life, you know, uh, when he was uh, during his ministry, uh, the priest and the teachers of the law and Jesus, 
um, you know, they just couldn't accept who Jesus was, right? So, you know, he was not only a sanctuary, but he was also a stone of offense to, you know, people who did not believe. In Isaiah, we go on, Isaiah 8, uh, 22 uh, to 9, 3. I'll just read from, you know, 9 here. It says here, But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time he brought into the contempt of the land of Zebulun, into the land of Naphtali. But in the later time he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in a land of deep darkness on them has light shone. Well, we know, uh, you know, in John uh, chapter 1, he refers to Jesus as the light of the world, right? And that light of the world is coming from where? Galilee, okay? So, so being that Jesus was operating out of Galilee, Many of the teachers of the law, you would have hoped, would say, hmm, okay, well, you know, it says right here, you know, he's going to be coming out of Galilee, all right? Um, Isaiah 9, uh, 6 to 7, Isaiah goes on. He, this guy is on fire, man. So for us, a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall, shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, <clears throat> everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and, and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So, it's not just something that we do or something that this guy is going to do, but the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Okay. Um, <clears throat> uh, you know, Sean, you know, mentioned that, uh, I guess, um, uh, Tim Keller, you know, has a reflection. I don't know where, where you got that from now. That I, I see it written down here, but okay. Yeah, so... He has a nice little blurb on what that all means. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. So I thought that was interesting. Would like to get into it, but I got five minutes. Okay, Isaiah 11, 1 through 2. Uh, we're, you know, he's on a roll here. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. Okay, so that stump is coming from the line of Jesse, okay, the line of David, and a branch from its, his roots shall bear fruit, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes but what his ears hear. So he's going to be a righteous judge, this Messiah. Right? He's going to be a righteous, righteous judge. And he's going to be full of wisdom, understanding, and knowledge. And we see that through Jesus' life. I mean, like when the, when the uh, teachers of the law are contending with him, he's like, boom, 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 boom. Bring it on. Come on. All right? So, um, moving on. In uh, Isaiah 28, 16. Again, behold, I am the one who has laid as a foundation of Zion, a stone, a tested stone, 
a precious cornerstone of sure foundation. Whoever believes will not be in haste. And I'm going to skip here. Um, Isaiah 35, that one's okay. Isaiah 40, again, we're not really talking about Jesus. We're talking about, you know, um, you know, really John the Baptist. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. So basically what Jesus, uh, this person, okay, is, um, is going to make plain, you know, who this Messiah is. Make it easy for him. Give me the Cliff Notes version. All right. The one uh, we're going we're gonna to skip uh, Isaiah 42 and 50, which I think are, are kind of uh, interesting. But Isaiah 53, um, if you are to read any uh, of the um, chapters out of Isaiah, I would point you to 53. But the salient, you know, verses out of here was five through nine where it says here but he was pierced for our transgressions he was crushed for our iniquities upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace and with his wounds we are healed all are all we like sheep have gone astray we have turned everyone to his own way and the lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that was led to the slaughter and like a sheep that was before his shears is silence. So he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And for his generation who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. I mean, that's a gospel right there, dude. And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Okay, so like I said, overlay that with Romans and I think you will be blessed. Uh, Isaiah 61, which is the last one out of, um, out of the book of Isaiah, which is uh, interestingly enough where Jesus quotes this himself. This was the beginning of his ministry, if you remember. Uh, where he was given a scroll in Nazareth, and he read from it, and he says, oh, okay, look at this one. Okay, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. So imagine if you were in a congregation there and, you know, this fella, you know, roll, opens this scroll up and reads here and he says, today this has been fulfilled. <laughs> You'd be like, really? Okay. Isn't that Joseph's son, a carpenter? No, it's the king of king, the Lord of lords. Okay, we have one minute to go. And there's a smattering of other ones, but other prophecies through Daniel, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Hosea and Micah. But I thought um, 
what I'd like to do is finish off with, you know, the three from Zechariah, which I think are, you know, actually pretty cool. But anyway, in Zechariah 6, uh, it says here, again, the branch. Behold the man whose name is the branch, for he shall branch out from his place, and he shall build the temple of the Lord. It is he who shall build the temple of the Lord and shall bear royal honor and shall sit and rule on his throne, and there shall be a priest on his throne, and a council of peace shall be between them both. So, the Messiah was to be both priest and king, and unity between the offices. In Zechariah 9, he goes on, and this guy is also, you know, kind of on fire too. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation. It is he humble and mounted on a donkey or a colt, the foal of a donkey. So that's why during, you know, when uh, Jesus, you know, comes back, okay, to Jerusalem on a foal of a donkey, that is quoted uh, back to Zechariah. And he goes on, and he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea and from river to the ends of the earth. Zechariah 11 uh, uh, Verse 12, then I said to them, if it seems good to you, give me wages, if not, keep them. And they weighed out as my wages 30 pieces of silver. So that is quoted as, or that's a prophecy concerning, you know, Judas Iscariot and his, um, and his traitorous uh, action against the, the Lord himself. So, and then finally in Zechariah 12, 10, and I will pour out on, on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy, so that when they look on me, on him who they have pierced, they shall mourn for him as one mourns for an only child. So, um, like I said earlier, uh, if you were um, uh, Jewish, and you were contending with your brothers and sisters, and you're um, using the Old Testament scripture, you know, to show that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, you know, to me, it'd be pretty convincing, wouldn't it? So um, that's all I have for today. You know, I'll take maybe one or two questions. We really have to, I have to wrap it up. So any questions or comments? Thank you. Anything else? Ryan. Right there in Zechariah uh, 12. Uh, that's, you've got something interesting there where uh, if you've got a cultist coming to talk to you to deny the Trinity, that's a good place to go because <laughs> this is God talking. And so in, in 12 verse 1, this is the word of the Lord concerning Israel. The narrative continues down to verse 10. I will pour out on the house of David. I'll keep going here. So that when they look on me, God using the word me to talk about himself, on him whom they have pierced. So Jesus is God, and it says so right there. Thank you. Way back there.
So I was just wondering, uh, listening to these prophecies, so in your opinion, can we consider uh, these prophecies as a logical reasons to convince uh, non-believer uh, that Jesus is Messiah? I understand that faith is important to believe in Christ, but for a non-believer, uh, they do not understand the word faith. So do you think that uh, we can convince them that these are the logical uh, reasons uh, that Jesus is Messiah? Yeah, that, that's a good, a great question, and we could probably spend another five minutes on it. But, <clears throat> you know, to me, uh, and that's why I say to uh, those who are knowledgeable in the Old Testament, this is the way that, you know, a Hebrew or a Jewish person would approach, you know, evangelism, in, in my opinion. But if you are a non-believer, right, you don't know anything about anything, it's probably not you know, a good means, you know, of, you know, starting off an, you know, evangelical discussion. That's just my opinion, okay? Because sometimes people don't even believe that there's a God. So, right? So you have to start from scratch, you know, so to speak. Anything else? Okay. Uh, I will close in prayer. Thank you for your attention. Let's let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this book that we call the Bible, your Holy Scripture. And we thank you that you were pleased to, you know, through uh, people in it that we read about in the Old Testament, the prophets, that you have been pleased to um, prophesy about the coming of Jesus, that we thank you for Jesus, and we thank you for his work uh, and resurrection. Uh, and his uh, kingship and lordship over all. We pray that um, we would use this information for your glory. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.